I was literally the picture of health on the cover of health and fitness magazines and exercising daily. I was eating my egg white omelets and thinking that I was eating this healthy diet with my low fat, fat free life. And boom, breast cancer. Welcome to the exam room podcast brought to you by the physicians committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us in more than 130 countries and healthy cities coast to coast. Hopkins, Minnesota, Bakersfield, California, Takamatsu, Japan. We appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 39 of season five, number 338 overall. Samantha Harris from Dancing with the Stars is here with us on the show today. And it is an episode filled with hope and discovery and the power of not throwing in the towel, fighting without fear and fighting to reclaim your health after receiving a devastating diagnosis. And this was a fight that Samantha never saw coming. Because exercise was part of her daily routine. She was eating what she had been taught was a healthy diet, and she was doing everything that she could not to suffer the same cruel fate as her father, who passed away from cancer when he was just 50. Samantha had two young daughters at home, and she was feeling great, but she thought, just to be safe, I should have a mammogram, because she was about to turn 40. She wasn't really worried about what the results would be, and sure enough, when the results came back, they were exactly what she expected. They were clean. So imagine her shock when less than two weeks later, she found a lump in her breast. Doctors initially were just as puzzled as she was, even telling her there's no way this could be cancer. But that voice inside of Samantha's head kept growing louder. Keep digging, it would say. Keep searching. Figure out what this thing is. And finally, after a number of months had rolled by, she had an answer. In fact, it was cancer. And Samantha was about to embark on a roller coaster ride that begins with the highest of highs as host of one of the biggest TV shows on the entire planet. And then it would dip to the lowest of lows, fighting for her life. The emotional pain she felt matching anything she felt physically. But just like any good roller coaster, this one doesn't stop at the bottom. The wheels kept rolling, climbing back up to the top. And that is where we find Samantha today. The journey back to health has helped her become what she calls her healthiest healthy. And her recipe for getting there is equal parts lifestyle, positive outlook, and nutrition. And that last one, by the way, it became the second biggest shock of her journey following the initial diagnosis. Because all of these lean meats and other foods that she thought were healthy actually turned out to be the devil in disguise. And so now that all of those foods are gone from her diet, we are going to go into her kitchen and discover what the healthy foods are she can't live without today. But you're also going to hear Samantha talk about one other big shock from her journey. And that is the fact that she was stunned to learn 
just how few cancer cases are actually tied to genetics. What research shows is about 9 out of 10 can be prevented just with diet and lifestyle mitigation factors. We're talking about 90%. So that gives all of us a very good chance at living our healthiest healthy as well. And so now this Emmy Award winner is teaching thousands of women just that. Working as a nutrition advocate and a certified personal trainer to give them the hope as they face their own battle. What a fantastic conversation we are about to have with Samantha. From dancing with the stars to dancing past cancer. Let's take that ride right now. Samantha Harris, welcome to the exam room. I, you know, I'm a huge fan of the exam room. And so being on as a guest is a highlight. Thank you. The honor is all mine. Thank you so very much for being here. And I want to dive right into your story because it is so fascinating. Um, you have always been, true or false, really kind of, at least you would say you were health, health conscious, right? You always considered yourself to be a healthy person? Out of college, once I gave up the deep dish Chicago pizzas and the <laughs> nightly raw cookie dough that we raided from the sorority house at Northwestern, yes. Then once I moved out to LA, I considered myself pretty darn healthy. Okay. <laughs> cookie dough and Chicago style pizza. Those two things have never been mentioned in the same sentence on this show. So that is the first. Um, but flash forward. So you, you're health conscious. You move out to LA. 40 years old, though you're diagnosed with stage two breast cancer. And it's my understanding that that really just kind of took you by surprise. Oh, it rocked my world. Uh, and and uh, the blindsided nature of a diagnosis when you especially think that you're healthy. I was literally the picture of health on the cover of 11, 12 different health and fitness magazines. And I was, you know, Eat, exercising daily. I was eating my egg white omelets and my skinless, boneless chicken breasts and thinking that I was eating this healthy diet with my low fat, fat free life. And boom, breast cancer. My daughters were three and six at the time. I did not see it coming. I lost my dad to colon cancer when he was just 50. So when I was about to turn 40, I thought, you know, should I get that mammogram thing I've heard about? I have a grandmother who lived to 95, but was a breast cancer survivor and with my dad's cancer. And there's oftentimes a breast and not often, but occasionally a breast and can, uh, colon connection for cancer. So I got my mammogram and Chuck, it came back clear. It's exactly what I had anticipated being the, the healthy one among my friends and family until 11 days later, I found a lump when I was changing after a workout and immediately took action. I called my longtime OBGYN because she was the only one who ever gave a clinical breast exam to me. She quickly saw me, said it was nothing, sent me on my way. A month later, lump still there, said, okay, well, it's not cancer. Had a clear mammogram, had a doctor say it was not cancer. So I saw my internist, he did the same thing. Quick clinical exam, sent me on my way. Eh, it's nothing to worry about. We'll keep an eye on it if you're worried. But then, Chuck, it was four months that had passed, and it was the holidays, and you, you finally come up for air after the new year, and there was this inner voice that had been talking to me all along, but now it was screaming at me, and I needed to get quiet enough to hear it 
And it, what it was saying was, you, Samantha, need to have this nothing lump checked by someone who's an expert, who looks at breasts every day and knows what to look for if it is potentially something. And that's beyond a clinical feel. So that's when I finally found my way to a breast center, which is filled with only oncologists, because that's the only type of doctor who's an expert in breasts. And she did two ultrasounds, a needle biopsy. I had a subsequent MRI. Not one test even detected the cancer. Mm, all of that. And you're still coming up clear at this point? I'm still coming up clear. Literally, she walked into the room after the needle biopsy and said, I have good news and bad news. The good news is it's not cancer. The bad news is, Samantha, I don't know what it is. And this is where finding experts who are really good at their job is important because she listened to her gut. And she said, you know what? Because I don't know what it is, I advise we take it out. So I had a lumpectomy and a week later went for the final pathology results. And that's when we found out Indeed, not only was it ductal carcinoma in situ, which is breast cancer that's contained within the duct and the cells aren't smart enough, thankfully, to get out, but she listened to her gut even further in the surgical room and she said, you know, for whatever reason, I took a little sample of the border of some healthy tissue and I don't know why I wanted a sample of that, but I took some and that's invasive cancer, mm. which led me down the much more in-depth cancer path that I was on to lead me to my stage two and my subsequent double mastectomy, second stage reconstruction. So three surgeries in 2014 and uh, an estrogen blocking drug that I've been on for uh, about eight years now. Mm, mm. I, I mean, so you keep getting told, no, it's not cancer. It's not cancer. It's not cancer. You still have this little voice and now your doctor has this little voice, but I mean, the day of the diagnosis, I mean, were you still really surprised, even though you kind of had this nagging voice in your head now for a little while? Oh, Chuck, I was so surprised. I was so surprised that I went, I was so confident that it wasn't cancer because I had been told now by three different doctors, including an expert in breast cancer, that it wasn't cancer. I told my husband to stay home. He didn't need to come with me, sit in a dark, dang doctor's office while I got the results of the pathology and looked at my incision, you know, and so there I was by myself sitting on a doctor's table as the word carcinoma and diagrams being drawn of a breast with little dots that represented the cancer cells were being shown to me trying to make sense of this whirlwind that I did not anticipate to any degree. I would imagine that you experienced not just beyond shock, it was just a, a rush of emotion. Is, is it possible even for you to articulate how you felt in that moment? It was, so I'm very much a happy-go-lucky person. It was always who I was from birth. And in that moment, cancer struck down the happy girl inside of me. And for the first time in my life, I felt this rush of what I can liken to a coursing, pulsating adrenaline that ran through my veins and gave me what I learned was incredible anxiety, possibly even borderline panic attacks that I had never felt before. I didn't know how to deal with it. I had, again, our daughters were three and six. They were at home. They just needed mommy to come and play and put them to bed and take care of them. And all I could think of every moment of every waking second, I would wake up in the morning thinking it was a bad dream. And then the realization would hit me with a ton of bricks and this elephant on my chest that it was cancer. And my dad died of cancer when he was 50. And here I was 40 
And I couldn't die too. I had to be there for my girls and for my husband and for my mom who had already gone through this with the person she loved so much. So it took about three weeks of feeling this horrid way. And something again, deep inside me bubbled up and said, Samantha, you, you cannot feel this way for the unforeseen future of what this cancer journey will be. You need to pull it together. So what I chose to do in that moment, and now as a certified health coach and as a trainer and you know, so entrenched in the wellness world, I understand now so much that what I wish I had known, but somehow came to, which was I had to flip my perspective. I had to change my mindset and then take on everything that came at me with a positive spin. And that wasn't easy, but from that moment and from that experience, I developed a set of tools that have come in handy, whether it's when an earthquake has come to LA out of the blue, because that's what they do, or a pandemic is upon us and is putting us in our home and away from people. I now have a set of tools to deal with stress and anxiety that work really well. You know, that's that's a common theme that I've heard from people who are in these ultra stressful situations, whether it be with their health or their professional career or their personal life. It's that the positive mental attitude is critically important to have the best possible outcome. Do you think that had you not been able to crawl out of that hole after those three weeks, the outcome here may have played out a little bit differently? Well, I think tremendously so. We have so many studies that back up especially specifically with cancer, the outcomes of longevity and mortality when it comes to attitude, mindset, and perception. So one of the tools that I now have in my arsenal is positive self-talk. So it sort of looked like this back then. Samantha, you have cancer. What's good? Okay. I'm not saying it was easy to figure out immediately <laughs> what was good, but now it is. What was good and what came to me was, and I and I did, I said this out loud, positive self-talk. Okay, well, what's good? Let's see. I am in otherwise great shape and good health. Therefore, my complications during surgery, risks will be reduced. My recovery will be faster. Okay, this is really good, Samantha. Keep talking. What else is good? Okay, I have great insurance. Awesome. Keep going. I have a wonderful support network. All right. You're rocking it now. And the more you think of things that are positive, it feeds into the next and then the next. And so this, you know, our brain processes our thoughts and our speech patterns, whether it's positive self-talk or negative self-talk. When we look in the mirror, something as simple as, ugh, that wrinkle, ugh, I'm fat, ugh, ugh, ugh. It, radiates to a cellular level. So how do we flip that consciously? And then the more we practice it, which also comes along with writing in a gratitude journal, which I didn't do for many years uh, after cancer, but I now know is a wonderful asset uh, to even just having a gratitude practice of thoughts, they then become your regular thought pattern, but it takes effort at the beginning. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, but I would think that you're, you're a living proof that no matter how dire a situation may seem, you can, you know, turn that frown upside down to use that old cliche. I mean, if you're facing a, a breast cancer diagnosis and you're still able to put on those rose colored glasses and do those self affirmations and look at things, you know, give it the, you know, the, the, the most silverest of silver linings possible. I think that that is so critically important. And if people take away just one little thing from this interview today, I really hope that it's that. That tool may be the creme de la creme. That may be like your ultra power tool in your tool chest. 
Well, I think that in addition to that, you know, it, it was really a combination of a set of tools, positive self-talk being and mindset being one of the most powerful. But something else that has really helps me, and this helps me in small moments from being stuck in traffic and frustrated, I'm going to be late to an appointment, <laughs> all the way to something like I found a lump and what do I do next, is to control what you can control. So in the cancer scenario, I couldn't control at that point that I had cancer because here I was with a diagnosis. But what could I control? Well, I could control my attitude towards things. I could control what actions I took, right? So post-cancer, and we'll get into this, I, I took control of how I was eating, how I was stressing, how I was approaching exercise, how I was mitigating stress, and being able to take those controlling actions. And then the third part of what I find is the trifecta of dealing with things that are causing stress, anxiety, depression, is also worry when you have to worry. Because we have so many thoughts that permeate our mind that never actually come to fruition. So I'm not saying put blinders on and don't deal with something, take control. But then, for instance, post-cancer, I had some lymph nodes in my groin that were pretty sizey. It turns out it's because I'm eating really healthfully and I'm at a really great weight that I'm thin enough that I can actually feel where those lymph nodes are, whereas perhaps prior I couldn't. But I felt them, they seemed sizey. All of a sudden the worry, all that adrenaline, that cortisol, that negativity rushed in. I thought I can't deal with cancer again. So I took these three things positive self-talk, control what I could control, which was calling the doctor, getting seen, having a PET scan, making sure that everything was clear, and then putting the worry away. Because if there was, God forbid, a diagnosis, I'd have plenty of time to worry. So worry when you have to worry. <laughs> okay. I, I like that. You know, why, why worry about something you may not need to worry about? Worry when the time comes, basically. Um, question for you. I, I want to go back to your story. So here we are. Um, you're, you're changing your mindset three weeks after the diagnosis, but where are you professionally? What are, what are you doing career-wise at that point? So I was actually, I had left Entertainment Tonight. Uh, I had just wrapped a network show for um, NBC and I was it honestly couldn't have come at a better time. See, sometimes be careful what you wish for. I was wondering, well, where's that next job? When am I gonna get back on TV? What's happening? And instead I was able to be present for my kids and be focused and then this diagnosis came. Thank goodness it came at a time where I wasn't in the midst of the insane schedule that were my TV schedules. And I could be focused on when I wasn't worrying about my health and taking care of doctor's appointments, I could be present for my kids. So sometimes again, there's a lot to be said about, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> um, and, and going back to kind of the, the family history here, um, before you started to do some research and really diving in and, and learning about genetics and epigenetics, um, how much of this did you think was completely out of your control and this was just the hand that God dealt you essentially? Well, when I was diagnosed and of course, because my dad had colon cancer and died of it because his mother had breast cancer postmenopausal. So uh, it turns out later I found out there was no connection to mine, but I thought, well, of course, of course I have cancer because this is in my family. And oh gosh, that means my girls are going to have a higher risk as well. And oh gosh, what do I do? What do I do? Uh, but there's really nothing to do because it's just my genetics. Mm -hmm. and, and then I got the genetic tests because of course there's the BRCA gene, which is uh, one of the most uh, known, widely known genes that 
puts you at about an 80% risk of various female cancers from ovarian and cervical to breast. Uh, but that was not a genetic link I had. And then we did, there's a, a, a disease, um, uh, I'm blanking on what the name is, but it's a colon and breast connection. And uh, Lynch syndrome is what it's called, actually. Uh, I was negative for Lynch syndrome. And I was negative for an entire battery of the other known, and there are a lot of them, but of course not all, of known genetic tests. And I remember getting a call from the genetic counselor saying, oh, you have no genetic link to the cancer. And my immediate reaction, Chuck, was disappointment. Hmm. In retrospect, I am beyond grateful that I had no genetic link, but I wanted answers. I wanted a simple answer. I wanted the answer that it wasn't my fault. It was nothing within my control. This just happened to me. And so that's why the initial result was a disappointment. Of course, once I had a couple more minutes or hours to think about it, I thought, oh my gosh, thank goodness. That means my girls aren't at a higher risk of breast cancer beyond the risk that they will have that's elevated only because I had it, but not because of a genetic predisposition. So I'm a national ambassador for Susan G. Komen. And what I learned from all of their breast cancer research is that only five to 10% of breast cancers are actually genetic. And I believe that uh, depending on the type of other cancers, and we know there are so many, it ranges from anywhere from five to even only 30% of certain cancers being genetic. So when we look at the breast cancer specifically, five to 10% are genetic. There's probably another you know, five that are just completely unexplainable, which means we have this huge portion of about 85 to 90% of breast cancers being from what? I didn't know. And I'm a journalist by trade. So I did exactly what you would have done as a researcher and as a journalist yourself, Chuck. Put that journalism hat on and I began to research, speak to every expert I could, learn as much as I could, research as much as I could. And I determined it really is the epigenetics, as you mentioned. What we put, and I didn't know the word epigenetics, what we put in, on, and around our body, what our lifestyle and habits are that affects our DNA structure that turns on or off certain cancer genes that might be laying there dormant and is the switch going to get flipped on or is it going to stay in the off position when not just for, for breast cancer risk, but the changes that we make to change our habits and our lifestyle choices also affect our chances of getting type 2 diabetes, heart disease, certain autoimmune disorders, neurodegenerative disorders, as as of course, you guys talk about on the exam room all the time. So these things were so just wow and shocking to me that I dove even deeper and deeper until I finally actually went and got certified as a health coach. I went through a long training program from a very prestigious institution. And I am so proud of the work that I do in making that pivot from television host to helping others elevate their wellness and become the healthiest they possibly can by taking control of their wellness in ways they didn't realize they could or even should. Oh, yeah. I mean, flipping that switch for people is the ultimate reward. And um, getting feedback from people who have listened to the show, The Exam Roomies, you know, who have said, thank you so much for covering this. You know, because of this, I've been able to improve my own health. Like to me, that is everything. And for you, though, to work on an even more intimate basis with your clients, I would imagine that reward for you is even greater. It is. So at first, when I started uh, my work as a certified health coach, I just took on some private clients and I took a, a very small number of people on at a time. And then I realized I just want to reach more people. And so in January of 2021, I launched, uh, well, sorry, 
Well, let me back it up. I know you mentioned that I'm an author. So the best-selling book that I wrote called Your Healthiest Healthy came out in 2018. And the reason I wrote Your Healthiest Healthy was because after I learned all about what's in on and around our bodies and how we should change and make changes from the foods we're eating to the makeup and skincare products and we're using on our body to the cleaning supplies around and toxic relationships around us and how that's raising our cortisol or the neurotoxins and endocrine disruptors and carcinogens in our bodies. There didn't seem to be one place to go to get, I didn't want someone to say, this is what you have to do, but I wanted the information as a foundation. So I wrote the book, your healthiest healthy, because I thought I was my healthiest but I wasn't, I was healthy. I needed to reach my healthiest healthy. So your healthiest healthy is really a roadmap and a comprehensive action plan to get people started on, well, what should I start to add more of in my diet? What should I start to reduce or eliminate? How should I source what I'm choosing to eat? Then when it comes to my beauty products, well, gosh, what do you mean? What carcinogens? What are endocrine disruptors? What do those do to me? And, and how am I getting them on my body? Oh, they're in my products. Oh, I need to start reading labels. Here's what I need to look out for. And really expanding from there. And then in January of 2021, I launched Your Healthiest Healthy Community, which is a subscription-based membership program where every week I offer a live coaching session, a live workout. I bring in live guest experts, uh, as well as lead a live breathwork meditation uh, on Zoom. So we have that one wonderful time to build community and interaction. And these things are just so important to me. And so in addition to that, I also lead your healthiest healthy retreats. Uh, so I transitioned from having just a a big base of private clients to just a couple of private clients, but mostly doing all my coaching through your healthiest healthy community and my wellness retreats. Yeah, I, I I think that those workouts are probably no joke. I've seen you on Instagram on the trampoline, and I think that you even uh, went out and and did a workout with the SEALs one day, the Navy SEALs. I did. I mean, you're hardcore, girl. That was intense. You know, it's interesting because when I was growing up uh, in high school in Minnesota, I was on the dance team, but exercise was just fun. It was a social hour. It was just a good time. When I went to school at Northwestern University in Chicago, I took a couple of dance classes, but really had to drag my butt to get to the gym. I didn't find exercise exciting or fun. It was more of a chore. And then I moved to LA and there was no more formal exercise that school provided. And I realized, wow, at the time, I wanted to just look good, right? I was in my 20s. I was trying to get on TV and start my career. So it was really an extrinsic motivation of just wanting to look good. And then cancer came. And I realized how important having that intrinsic motivation for exercise. Now I exercise to feel good, to lift my mood, to boost my energy levels and my productivity but also so that I can be around for a very long time to see my kids grow up and know their children and have the energy to be able to run after their kids and also prevent slips and falls that will keep me from doing the things I want to do as I grow, which is just part of the bigger picture, which is why I eat the way I do with a more plant-based lifestyle, why I mitigate my stress through breath work and micro meditation and all the other great things that come along like hikes in nature. <laughs> it, it, I'm telling you, man, it, like stress, speaking with uh, Dr. Dean Ornish about that uh, on this show, you know, the importance that he places on really mitigating stress in your own life for your health. Like it's, it's, it's such a critical yet, you know, undervalued 
a part of our health. Like I, I don't understand why more people don't take the time to smell the roses. We're taught to do that from a young age, but how many of us actually do that these days, right? But it's a little thing like that can make all the difference in the world when it comes to your health. Um, I want to back up a little bit in your story though, Samantha, and go back to um, when it was you were putting together your course of treatment uh, following your diagnosis here. So uh, I believe you opted at one point for a double mastectomy. Is that correct? I did. I had a, I had a bilateral mastectomy in 2014, uh, which is a two-part because what I ended up doing was getting uh, expanders in, which is sort of a two-part reconstruction to bring the breast back to looking more natural and clothed. And even somewhat what unclothed, you know, they're a pretty good job. <laughs> was that a difficult decision for you? Uh, you, you know, it was. There were so first of all, you, when you get diagnosed with any type of, of disease, uh, with cancer, it's you know you go through cancerversity. You have to learn all these terms. You have to learn all of the, the different options. And I really made sure that I went to not just one or two, but I usually had three opinions uh, because. Sometimes something resonates a little more. Someone says or phrases something, even if it's the same bit of advice, a different way. So uh, through my cancerversary, I also knew that I had a couple of options. I could either do another, so the lumpectomy that I had was just to get the initial lump that we didn't think was cancer out that showed me it was cancer. So that meant then once we knew it was cancer, I had to either go back in, do a, a second lumpectomy, but this time with radiation or a single or double mastectomy. So I spoke to a lot of different doctors. I also talked to a lot of cancer survivors who had done both surgeries and found out sort of how they felt about it, made a list of pros and cons, really took it step by step with my husband at my side every minute of this, especially because he wasn't there. When I told him to stay home the day I found out I had cancer, he never forgave himself from that. He never missed another doctor's appointment. And he really, you know, building that community around you is very important from, you know, my husband to my mom, my sisters, my, my stepdad, my mother-in-law, cousins, right? Everyone around me uh, was very important in making and talking, just really talking, not being afraid. I think cancer was something that was whispered in the in the corners of hallways back in the day. Mm. Grateful that the conversation uh, is is now open. And the more when I meet a cancer, newly diagnosed cancer survivor who says, oh, yeah, no, I'm so glad I'm sharing this with you because I haven't talked to any of my family about this yet. It breaks my heart because we need to have that support system around us. Yeah, and it sounds to me like uh, you've got an incredible one in your life. Your husband's certainly a keeper. Um, from everything you, you've just said, I'm really glad that you had that that sense of support. Um, I don't know if you've ever been asked this particular question, but I, I want to ask it from a guy's perspective because I think it's important that we try to understand as much as possible. What is it that you wish men knew when it comes to breast cancer and a decision to go through a surgery as extreme as a double mastectomy? Well, I think that's a really great question. And, you know, especially because, you know, I say, I say to people after I had my mastectomy that, you know, look, my boobs did what they needed to do. They got me my husband and they fed my kids and they did those two things and now just take them away. But it's not as easy as that. There's, you know, you're as a, as a woman losing your breasts, um, you know, they're, it's a mix of emotions um, on so many levels from the, the intimacy that they can bring. Um, you, you lose all sensation. Uh, so for, for a lot of us, uh, that can be really 
hard, um, how you look when you look at yourself naked in the mirror and what that means to you, how that uh, affects your self-worth. And I think that for those people who say, oh, hey, you got, you, you're getting a you know, mastectomy, awesome, you get a free boob job. Mm, not really. So that, that and that's a lot of the time, you know, men, you kind of they their brain sometimes goes to that place of like, yeah. Now I will say we tried, my husband always brought a lot of light and levity throughout the process because even in the darkest of moments, you have to find that light. And I could always count on him for that. And I remember one day when we were at uh, pre-surgery at my reconstructive surgeon's office, and she brought us the breast binder. And it was basically a book of boobs uh, from all sizes, all shapes. And really we had to go through it. This was, a, this was a job my husband was up for. We had to go through and look at all the different boobs and figure out which type of breasts were kind of ideal for what we were looking to go for, for this reconstruction. And so, you know, it's finding those moments where it's okay to laugh and have fun. And then remember to just Take take the the lead from the woman who's going through the breast cancer, and there are men also who do deal with breast cancer. It's not only women; there are men who have been diagnosed, and so men too. You know, check check those pecs. The book of boobs, huh? I can see how that might bring a little levity to the situation. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um, I want to flash forward here because we only have about five minutes left or so. Um, you underwent uh, a number of other surgeries. Um, after the test came back uh, from your lymphs, correct? Yes. So, uh, so well, from, from the lymph nodes? Yes, the lymph nodes. So in the double mastectomy or in a lumpectomy or single mastectomy, we uh, all now, it's pretty much protocol that you have what's called the axilla node biopsy. And so basically there's a lymph node under, the, well, there are lymph nodes, of course, under both armpits. Um, and on, on whichever side or both sides, if you have cancer in both, you'll have to have the axilla node removed. And that's sort of known as the gatekeeper node. And it's a pretty phenomenal surgery. And my my oncologist, my surgical oncologist, Dr. Armando Giuliano out of Cedar sinai Hospital here in uh, Beverly Hills, is the one who did my surgery. But he also was on the team of doctors who figured out that if we can take out the axilla node, it's a gatekeeper. And if there's no cancer in the axilla node, the likelihood that it the cancer has traveled to any of the other nodes is highly unlikely. But if that axilla node is positive, there's a chance that the gate opened and other nodes have it. So what ended up happening for me is I did have that axilla node positive for cancer. So not only did they take that, they took 11 other nodes as well, as many nodes as they could find. Thank goodness when I woke up from my mastectomy a few days later while I was still in the hospital, I was told that I was negative for any other node involvement uh, because you're you're graded on the, the staging and the grading of that cancer is based on how far it's gotten. So you you know the fewer the nodes or ideally no nodes involved, it would be the best. So it was disappointing that one node had involvement and that's why I was bumped up to stage two from a stage one, but thank goodness no other nodes were involved. And contrast the emotions of the day where the doctors told you, hey, you're cancer free to those when you receive that initial shocking diagnosis. I would imagine that's a 180 of all 180s. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because it, they, they perform the mastectomy and that sort of is the day you're cancer free. But it wasn't really until about a year later when I had my 
one year follow-up MRI, just to make sure that the integrity of the implants were there. And that also it was the first thing that really showed how much breast tissue was left. And, you know, it's, it's a misnomer to think that a mastectomy gets every last cell of breast tissue, which is why a lot of women, the majority on, depending on the type of breast cancer are on some sort of, um, follow-up treatment, whether it's the estrogen blocker that I'm on because I had a hormone positive cancer uh, to other, you know, a whole list of other medications uh, that people can be on or follow-up radiation or chemotherapy, uh, either prior or post-surgery. And so uh, when I saw that MRI though, and I saw how cleanly, you know, even though there's still some cells there, you could really barely see one ounce of tissue left. I thought, okay, I see that the, I can visually see the cancer is gone. And that was that breath of fresh air. All right. Now you're on the exam room. So here's your final question from me. Can't let you go without talking about food. I want to go into your kitchen. Tell me, Samantha, what are your go-to must-have cancer-fighting foods? Absolutely. Well, I start my day with a smoothie or an acai bowl. And the reason is because I can pack into that thing so much nutrient density and plant-based goodness. So matcha green tea powder and flaxseed ground fresh daily or every two days are key for breast cancer prevention. I want to up my fiber. So I make sure that I have berries. Everything's organic, especially anything on the dirty dozen list. We want to make sure anything that's extra heavy in pesticides is eliminated from my kitchen as much as possible. So all of my berries are actually everything, all my greens. So I have spinach, kale, I'll switch up the greens. So sometimes it's not kale, but it might be collard greens or Swiss chard. And the reason for changing it up is because we want the biodiversity for that microbiome and that gut health. So that's why I like to change up the greens as well. And then a great vegan plant-based uh, protein powder, as well as ginger. I mean, it's the kitchen sink smoothie. And if you go to your healthiesthealthy.com, I have a under the resources tab, recipes, and my Samantha's signature smoothie is on there. So you guys can start, go easy on yourself, and then just <laughs> keep leveling up. But organic, wild blueberries, another great cancer fighter that I have almost every day. Outstanding. Uh, my friend, Dr. Will Bolsowitz would be so proud of you right now for talking oh about the microbiome. Oh my gosh, can I just first of all, shout out to Will and a shout out to Dr. Barnard, who's been a frequent guest in your Healthiest Healthy community. And Dr. Will Bolsowitz was also, has also been a guest in your Healthiest Healthy community. But I had, uh, so my dad died of colon cancer. I have colonoscopies every three years, which I've been getting since I was 35. I'm now 48 plus. And I just, re just literally last week had my most recent colonoscopy thank goodness for Dr. Will. I texted him and I said, okay, I have to go on a low fiber diet for the three to five days before this colonoscopy. That's everything I eat. Will, I know you just had one. What did you eat? I can't eat anything that's good and healthy. I don't want to eat white crap, flour and rice and, and, you know, and, and tons of animal products because of course they have no fiber. And so it was a real challenge. We got through it. Uh, but it, I thank goodness he was there to support because we love Dr. Will Bolsowitz. Dr. B for the win. Love that guy. That is my dude right there. Um, all right. So uh, talk to me really quickly about uh, the women's wellness retreat that you have coming up November 3rd through the 6th in St. George, Utah, which if memory serves is kind of close to the Arizona and Nevada border. So yes, yeah, so you can fly into Vegas or Salt Lake City or a 
through Denver and it's in St. George. It's at Red Mountain Resort and Spa. So November 3rd through 6th. And you know what? If you guys want to come and you tell me when you make your deposit that you heard me on the exam room, I'll give you $200 off. So just remind me and I'll make sure that happens. But I, the rooms are already starting to book up. What I do at this wellness retreat is we hike every day. We eat plant-based goodness. We build community. We also go through and talk about the toxins that are lurking in our makeup bag, in our personal care products, start to mitigate that, determine what our core values are so that we can set goals for ourselves that align with them from nutrition goals to exercise goals to the breathwork and meditation that I lead. We have so much fun and I cannot wait to be able to enjoy it with all of you, um, as well as your Healthiest Healthy community that is going on every week of every month. So you can join at any time for that as well. And uh, and the resort where the retreat is being held is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, I saw some photos of it and I was like, wow, that place actually exists. I mean, what what a, what a setting to, to have such a powerful retreat. So uh, what we're going to do, we're going to put a link to uh, you, a link for you to register right now is in the show description or in the episode notes. So go ahead and click on that. And uh, as Samantha just said, let her know that you heard it right here on the exam room and you will get $200 off. That is very generous of you. Thank you. Oh, you know what? I was I just right now I was like, wait a second, we gotta throw something in for you guys because I love the exam room. Chuck, I appreciate you having me on. And I just love talking to you. I could talk to you for hours. So well, you know, we should do this again because I would love to share with everybody also about the toxins of that are lurking that we can get out of the makeup products and get out of our skincare and get out of our homes so that we can mitigate because everyone who's all these exam roomies, you guys are already doing all the good work to work with your nutrition and plant base it up. But we want to make sure we have that level because you can eat the most perfect diet. But if you're not making sure the other areas of your health are taken care of and accounted for, it makes it really hard to be able to mitigate disease. There it is. See, that's that next level health that I'm talking about right now. You got me all fired up, all fired up. <laughs> Samantha Harris, thank you so very much for being here and just for sharing such a remarkable story. Thank you. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks, everybody. A link for you to register for the Your Healthiest Healthy Retreat can be found right now in the episode notes. So you can join Samantha November 3rd through 6th, get all charged up and end the year on the healthiest note possible. And of course, don't forget her book, Your Healthiest Healthy, Eight Ways to Take Control, Help Prevent and Fight Cancer, and Live a Longer, Cleaner, Happier Life. And there's a link for you to pick up your copy right now in the episode notes as well. You know, as I was talking to Samantha, I couldn't help but to think about the conversations we've had over the course of the years with Dr. Christy Funk here on the exam room. And hearing Samantha as someone who has survived breast cancer, echo exactly what Dr. Funk has been saying is really powerful. Because you have not just the doctor saying this, but also someone who has been through it. So you know there is a lot of credibility there. You know that there's something to it. And that is that 85 to 90% of breast cancer cases are preventable. And when you crunch those numbers, that means millions of lives could be saved. Needless suffering could be prevented and tears would not be shed. And that, my friend, is about as powerful as it gets. 
And if you haven't heard the episodes with Dr. Funk, I encourage you please to check them out because we go over our four-part approach from our Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign. These are four steps that literally anyone can take to lower their risk of cancer, even the guys out there who are listening right now. So fellas, listen up and ladies, take these four steps to the men in your life as well and say, hey, mister, here's the deal. So step one is to eat a plant-based diet. Because there is no question that eating a wide array of colorful fruits and vegetables and legumes and whole grains, all of that can dramatically lower your risk of cancer. And yes, that does include soy. Step number two, just get up off of the couch or out from behind the desk and move your feet. Exercise strengthens your immune system and helps with weight loss, both of which are big factors in both preventing and fighting cancer. Step three, limit alcohol. Now, this one may not sound like a lot of fun for a lot of us, but mocktails, they're not so bad. They're still fun to drink, my friend. So here's the score with the alcohol. Multiple studies now have shown that it can increase the risk of breast cancer. And it doesn't really even matter whether it's wine or liquor or beer, all of them can raise estrogen levels and damage DNA, which is exactly how cancer can begin. And step four, the final step, once you get to that healthy weight, stay there. Stop yo-yo dieting and packing on extra pounds, especially after menopause, because extra weight increases the risk of cancer and potentially can even make it more difficult to treat. Now, why is that? What the research shows is that fat cells actually produce estrogen, which then helps cancer form and even spread throughout the body. So if you do that, you take those four steps, you really should be in pretty good shape and turn your body into a lean, mean cancer fighting machine. And you can take a closer look at all of that science on the Let's Beat Breast Cancer website right now at letsbeatbreastcancer.org. And might I even suggest a fifth step? By subscribing to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee, if you haven't already done that, take a moment, please, to do that on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And when you do that, please also leave a five-star rating and a nice review. Because every single time that happens, it makes this show easier for someone who is struggling with their health to find. And we want to get this hope and this inspiration and this knowledge to them when they need it the most. So let's help to pay it forward pay forward what you are learning right now. That cancer is preventable. It doesn't have to be inevitable and a brighter, healthier future can be theirs and yours too. So please subscribe to the Exam Room Podcast and leave that five-star rating. Coming up this August is the International Conference on Nutrition in Medicine, one of the largest medical conferences of the entire year. More than 30 speakers all presenting the latest science on diet and lifestyle and your health and putting a focus on nutrition and preventing chronic diseases just like breast cancer. And this year we're doing something special just for nurses who would like to join us. A scholarship is available courtesy of someone who herself was once a nurse. 
Mary Cheryl is her name, and she and her husband Clint have teamed up to make this possible. And Mary was kind enough to join us with those details and share how her own experience in the field as a nurse has helped shape her vision for a healthier future. Mary, thanks so very much for being here. Indeed, yeah. You were a nurse yourself, so this clearly is near and dear to your heart. Talk to me about your experience really quickly before we talk about the scholarship in being a nurse and what you noticed between um, maybe how the patients uh, were taking care of themselves and were they looking at their diet and lifestyle at all? Uh, well, not at all. This goes back to the uh, 70s. I was in school and um, graduated uh, early 80s and no, nursing did not have much of nutrition, but from the sounds of what the doctors had for in their four or five years, or six or eight years of schooling, um, they didn't have any. So I just thought we needed to get the information out that PCRM is going to have at the ICNM and get the girl, uh, well, not just the girls, but the people that are in the trenches with the patients and have more time at the bedside maybe than the doctors do. And we need to get them educated. And uh, the scholarship is not about having a barrier to that. No, absolutely. I mean, we, we want to get this information out to as many people as possible, which is, I mean, that's actually the exact reason why we do the, the exam room as well. Um, but it seems to me like, you know, lifestyle medicine, uh, which definitely includes nutrition here, uh, is, is still kind of an emerging thing. And so back when you were a nurse yourself and working in, in those trenches you were just referencing, I mean, it sounds to me like we have a little bit of it now, but there was no lifestyle medicine whatsoever back in the day. No, no. And it's, um, it's a shame. I, I started out my career on a general, um, general surgery floor. And I realized that my favorite part of that was doing the education to the patients, like before they'd go into surgery or before they'd have a procedure done. And because they would have better outcomes when they were a little more educated about what to expect, even if that was pain and, um, and how, what they could do to avoid some of that pain post-op. So education, it was a big thing back then. And then I, I morphed into uh, neonatal intensive care. Um, I went into the Air Force. It did uh, started there, and then um, worked out into the operating room. Um, but still, people need to not throw all of their eggs into one basket, thinking the surgery is going to take care of it, or the medication is going to take care of it, or something else is going to take care of it. They need to be aware that they can take care of it. Well, let's take a look at the uh, the lineup of speakers that we have this year at ICNM. Dr. Alan Desmond will be there, just renowned gastroenterologist from the UK. He's been on the show a number of times. We've got Dr. Brian Carlson from the Mayo Clinic. He's going to be there. Uh, Cyrus Kambada and Robbie Barbero from Mastering Diabetes, my guys. Uh, Dr. Kim Williams, renowned cardiologist up at Rush University. I mean, can't say enough great things about this gentleman's work. Uh, Dr. Monica Agarwal had her on the show, another person who is just a mover and a shaker, Dr. Sarai Stancic, uh, Dr. Neil Barnard, of course, Dr. Hanna Kaliova, who is one of the smartest people I've ever met in my entire life. The entirety of her research that she has done and what we have spoken about on the show truly is, especially for diabetes, uh, just a game changer 
and I can't wait to hear her presentation. Um, of course, we have so many others, Dr. Dean Ornish. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And you can get the full list at pcrm.org slash ICNM. That's the place to go to register. But uh, Mary, when it comes to this scholarship that we're giving away for nurses and dietitians, who is the ideal candidate for this scholarship? Well, I think that the person who, I don't know, like me back in the 70s, wants to sit down and, and make a change for the patient's outcome, the person who's going to be sitting down at the end of the bed anyway and saying, you know, this is a possibility um, for you to look at diet along with whatever your doctor is mentioning, um, but taking back a little control. So sometimes it's the brand new nurse right out of school who, um, you know, is just a brand new blossom and she, or he, sorry about that, um, she or he um, just wants to spend some time with their patient and uh, give some education and the power of nutrition. And so that would be a, a person that I would uh, want to catch at the new part. Uh, whether it's a nurse or a dietitian that's coming out and just got their four years of dietitian training, but we might know that it might not have been a lot of here's how good foods work for you. Um, it might have been more about chemistry and stuff like that. Um, so I, I think the newbies coming out of um, diet school or nursing school, but also the people who might have been frustrated with seeing that nothing's a lot changing with the way the same old, same old way things have been doing. So they might want to switch it up. They may have dipped their toe into the whole food, plant-based nutrition, functional medicine, lifestyle. Uh, Realm heard a couple doctors and wants to want to know more, um, but uh, want to make sure that they have a lineup of those people that you just mentioned, those 30 superstars in the in the fields, giving the good information as opposed to like looking it up on the internet. All right. So uh, lots of good people to learn from uh, August 18th through the 20th. And uh, priority will be given to the RNs and RDs who are working with uh, communities of color and underserved populations. So um, certainly if you're able to reach those communities, uh, we would love to hear from you. So pcrm.org slash ICNM to apply for the Mary and Clint Sherrill Scholarship. 299 almost $300 off the cost of admission August 18th through the 20th for the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine. Mary, thank you so much for kind of just parlaying your own experience in the medical field into a brighter future for somebody else's. I think that this is just a, a wonderful idea and you're so generous. Thank you so much. Me, my, my husband and I, he just was doing the farming gardening thing right now today. <laughs> Thanks Chuck for having me, it's great. And a link to apply for the Mary and Clint Cheryl Scholarship is available right now in the episode notes, along with a link to a full list of speakers who will be at ICNM this year, August 18th through the 20th. So I want to thank all of the nurses who would like to join us this year, and I do hope to see you there. And if you're looking right now for a little one-on-one -on -one help in your own health journey, and you would like to work with a good plant-based doctor or dietitian, the staff at the Barnard Medical Center could be just who you're looking for. 
Telemedicine visits are available, so please visit right now barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500 for a full list of states where services are available and schedule your appointment today. 202-527-7500 or log on to barnardmedical.org. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Samantha Harris for being here and inspiring us with her incredible story. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. <laughs> <laughs>